What's happening? This is the Tap In Podcast. We are live inside of the Tap In studio. Um, man, this is going to be something interesting today. So I got somebody on the show who I found on Instagram, and I was intrigued because he's a black scientist, right? Yeah. <laughs> a black scientist. And I was like, okay, I, I, I need to talk to him. Now we have Olu Amusan. On the show today. What's going on, man? Awesome. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, man. Thank you for coming in, man. Thanks for having me. So let's 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 jump into this because when I found when I seen your profile on Instagram, I was like, okay, black scientist, and then I started going down your videos and you were talking about AI, right? Yep. So can you first start off explaining what exactly is AI, artificial intelligence? Awesome. So artificial intelligence is a field of computer science that actually deals with the simulation of intelligent behavior in machines. Mm, okay. So we're trying to imitate human behavior. We're trying to get machines to imitate human behavior. So everything cognitive about us, the way we can see, the way we can hear, the way we can perceive our environment, the way we can navigate obstacles, the way we can recognize faces, all of that, we want to be able to make machines to do them so we can have time to do all the cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So name name or give example that somebody, uh, AI that people are using every day that they probably wouldn't understand, like, oh, this is actually AI. So, I mean, every single one of us probably has the iPhone, right? Mm. And we're like, we want to know the weather today. And we're like, hey, Siri, what's the weather today? That's AI. Because right there, we have a virtual assistant that is able to perceive the environment, knows what's going on, can recognize our voice as a name, and then can respond to us. It can set an alarms. We don't have to say, set an alarm for me. We just say, wake me up at 430 and then he knows you're saying 4.30 in the morning. So that's some intelligent behavior in that machine, which is your iPhone. Wow. <laughs> wow. And and I know we we were talking off camera. You said the AI is something like it's virtually new, right, into the, into the market space, right? Yeah. So AI in itself as a concept is as old as computing itself. Mm -hmm. Because since the first computers were created, the conversations around whether computers could think started, but they couldn't do anything about it. So mm -hmm. over the years, as computing power increased, and in the recent decade especially, because of computing power and storage and all of that, we are now able to realize the dreams of artificial intelligence. So we can say all of the things that we're seeing only started happening within the last 10 years. Right. Dang. And then also, I know on the, um, on you, you are an AI consultant, right? That's right. Okay. And you're pushing other people to get into AI consulting as well, right? That's right. You have a business that, uh, that you operate out of or? Yes. I actually run a company called Coven Works. Okay. The company basically is... We have an obsessive mission, and I say obsessive because we're so passionate about it. We have an obsessive mission to build tomorrow's workforce. Mm. So about three years ago, while I was um, at Microsoft, I stumbled at, on a Gartner report. And this report says that it, by the year 2020, which we're in right now, there's going to be 
a huge demand for artificial intelligence engineers and data scientists mm. all around the world. And then I saw a huge opportunity to be able to plug into a business that trains and empowers people to become data scientists and artificial intelligence engineers. Goodness. <laughs> Dang. And how did you get into it? How did you start? What was your, your introduction into science or engineering? All right. So first, okay, I have a science background because I studied computer science in my, for my bachelor's. Okay. All right. And um, at first I thought I was going to do biological sciences, you know, but eventually I just found my love for computers and I started programming at like the age of 15, you know. And so um, when I finished college, I um, worked on a project with uh, the World Bank, you know, to create an interactive conference room back in the university I attended in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So after then, um, I used to have this radio show that basically talked about like fulfillment and all of that. And then Microsoft announced this role in Nigeria that would focus on training people on technology skills. Now, a few years earlier, I became a good rebel in my department of computer science uh-huh. because we were being taught Fortran 77, which is a programming language like from the 70s, instead of like Visual Basic or Java yeah. that, that is, you know, current. In current. Yeah. So we became, we became, you know, we're like, no way, we're not going to do this. So we started a group of good rebels and started teaching ourselves C Sharp, Java, uh, Visual Basic. It was around the year that Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook. So mm. we asked ourselves, what can we create with Fortran 77? This is an obsolete programming <laughs> language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So fast, fast forward four or five years down the line, Microsoft wanted to do the same thing across Nigeria and across Sub-Saharan Africa to train young people on technology skills. And I was just the feat for that job. Ah, okay, okay. How long did you work for Microsoft? About five years. Really? In from in Nigeria. In Nigeria. So I was reporting to Redmond in Seattle, uh-huh. you know, but the, that's where the old thing stems from. Uh-huh. But my work was focused on Nigeria and some parts of West Africa. Goodness gracious, that is, that is that is outstanding. Like it's, it's crazy because. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know that you can even be in another country. Well, I guess I did know that you could be in another country and work in the United States. Yeah, that that's a that's a whole another that's a whole another thing. Okay, and then you your company teaches people how to uh, get involved in AI consulting. That's right. Okay, so we believe very strongly that over the past ten years, and in fact, let's say the last twenty years. Artificial intelligence has basically focused on the engineers, the people who create the technology, mm. and, and understandably so, right? But the people who should be using the technology um, are not getting enough you know, understanding of this AI technology. So many things are stuck in research, but they don't get onto production. Mm. So our work as AI consultants is to be able to bridge the gap and be able to demonstrate to businesses how they can apply theoretical artificial intelligence into practical bottom line of their businesses. Got you. So let me ask you this. On the, um, because I feel like with AI, there's two sides, right? You could be the, the business side, the inventor, right? Or you could be the, the, the person who actually works for the company 
that is implementing the the technology. If somebody wants to get involved on the business side, right? How do they um, how do they get the talent? How do they find the talent? Because maybe like somebody like me, like I'm not an inventor. I'm not, you know what I mean. But I want to invest in the technology to be able to to be a part of that that boom when it comes. How do I get? How do I do that? How do I get involved? That, in that? is the smart thing to do right now. So we're seeing a lot of AI technology acquisition by regular business people, mainstream business people uh-huh. who are like, hey. Um, if we missed the dot-com revolution, if we missed, you know, uh, the social media revolution, we mustn't miss this um, uh, revolution of artificial intelligence, the age of intelligence. So one of the ways to get started first uh-huh. is to understand the basics of artificial intelligence yourself, mm-hmm. at least not necessarily the engineering, but to be able to know what are the business use cases of artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And when you know those business use cases, you partner with a company like mine, that basically provides talent to top companies to augment the work that you're trying to do. So what we do is that we create a strategy. We create an AI strategy around what you're trying to do. We formulate your strategy, understand the use cases that you want to work on. It could be that you you like driverless cars. Uh So that's autonomous vehicles, right? Or it could be that you like virtual assistants. You want to create another Alexa or another Siri, right? It could be that you want to um, do surveillance or image recognition on the highways. Whatever technology could be in transportation, it could be in health. It could even be in finance, like predicting stock prices or being able to invest more intelligently or generate market insights. So when you determine which use case that you want to focus on, Uh then we'll provide you the advisory that is necessary. The beautiful thing is that companies like McKinsey and Company, uh, Boston Consulting Group, you know KPMG, they are the top organizations around the world now. But you need top dollar to be able to work with those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're working with small and medium scale businesses across the United States to serve them and help them to get in early on this fourth industrial revolution. Mm, okay. Yeah. What do you think about uh, Tesla? They are amazing. I mean, Elon Musk is amazing. So um, when several of the mainstream manufacturers like Mercedes-Benz, Toyota, and uh, Volvo, when they were still like not sure whether driverless cars were going to be a thing real quickly, Elon Musk like, you know, boldly um, invested in Tesla and created Tesla. And today, most of the mainstream manufacturers are already creating their semi-autonomous vehicles and the only thing in their way right now is just policy, uh-huh. you know, and um, uh, bias, algorithmic bias. The fact that these these algorithms that are driving these cars are they safe enough? Concerns around do they recognize black people? Yeah. Are, are they are they built to understand our environment and the way they shoot? Right. You know, and um, one of my friends um, uh, and great inspiration within the industry, Joy Boluani, actually did a research recently that put all the big companies on their toes because she showed them that within their algorithm, that's the the program that runs their AI, there is some implicit bias right in there that does not favor black people. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And she challenged them, and many of them had to slow down on their programs and really reconsider. So so talking about Tesla, Tesla is one of the leading ones as far as their... Um, uh, driverless vehicle uh, uh, AI systems are concerned, mm-hmm. but several other companies are also, you know, racing really hard to make sure that in the near future 
we can have a completely hands-free car uh, in our neighborhood that everybody uh, feels safe around. Yeah, and I even seen that um, uh, that Elon Musk was building like an 18-wheeler for for like shipping trucks, like 18-wheelers, and they're going to he's essentially going to put truck drivers out of business because they're going to be all automated where they don't need drivers. It's 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 a very very serious social political concern mm-hmm. about jobs and that's why we need to really work on like the middle middle uh, uh skill gap, you know, that's going to be happening and you see Anytime there's a shift from one industrial revolution to another, there's always a loss of jobs. Yeah. But there will also be a gain of jobs. Right. So what I realized is that the government and the entrepreneurs themselves need to be socially responsible enough to prepare these drivers for what is coming. Right. They need to re-educate them. They need to compensate them for what is about to happen because... When the first Ford vehicles came on the scene, it took people who used to take care of horses, it took them out of business. Mm. So this is bound to happen. Change cannot be stopped. But as responsible governments, what are we going to do? Because these are parents, they're people's parents, and they need to take care of their family. So what are we going to do to make sure that they are retrained? You know, and it's not just truck drivers that will lose their jobs. Bankers... You know, insurance adjusters. Yeah. All of these people are also going to lose their jobs yeah, to yeah. artificial intelligence if we're not careful. You know, it's only creative things like podcasting, like, you know, artistry, like composing songs. Even right now, AI can compose songs, but at least to the to the to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. You know, so things that have to do with creativity, that have to do with intuition, empathy, mm-hmm. love, care. These are things that are difficult to replace. Right. But anything that has to do with calculations, mathematics, AI will easily, you know, be able to replace them. So we have to begin to think about what our species will continue to do as jobs when all of these jobs are gone. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> that that is scary. And you were telling me that is a difference between AI and um, augmented. Reality. Uh, reality. Yeah. Can you explain the difference again? Yeah, so, I mean, they all fall in the space of emerging technologies uh-huh. that are going to change everything. So, with augmented reality, you are able to superimpose a virtual world on top of the real world. So, you could be sitting here right now, and then you could uh, have a table that is cleared, but you can actually deal with some maybe engineering components and some tools or have a laptop that is virtual on your table and operate it. Now, they work hand in hand because artificial intelligence is actually something that would empower augmented reality. Okay. So the spaces that we're creating in the virtual world, we need to build some form of intelligence into them. I'll give you an example of where augmented reality and AI work together to create something we call mixed reality. Okay. So recently in Vegas, sometimes last year, Microsoft demoed a a 3D hologram of one of their executives. She was speaking English, and simultaneously, the 3D hologram, which looks exactly like R, wearing the same clothes as R, was interpreting and translating it to Japanese. So (laughs) if she had to speak in a Japanese conference... There's artificial intelligence 
is translating it in real time. In real time, mm. as she's speaking, and then the augmented reality is what is projecting our image, mm. creating what we call mixed reality for uh. the people who are in the audience. So it will get to a time where it will be a waste to learn Mandarin or to learn Japanese right. or to learn because right now Microsoft says that their, their speech-to-text or speech-translator AI has a 98% accuracy, you know, human mm. parity, meaning that it's that good, mm. you know, to be able to translate. So we're going to get to that point. Things, anything that has patterns, anything that has patterns, anything that has mathematics, computers are better at it than humans. Right, right. Because you, you eliminate the human error of it, right? And you just plug in numbers and... Wow. So, in the future, podcasting, you could not really be here and I and we can be projecting the, your image somewhere? Absolutely. So, in the future, <laughs> in the very near future, because with the Microsoft HoloLens 2 and some of the other devices out there right now, like the Oculus, you can actually, you know, be in different places project that like you're sitting together give your audience the feeling like you're together they'll yeah. still be able to tell yeah but we can create 3d models of ourselves 3d holograms of ourselves doing this job now this is what is interesting what is interesting is that we can train artificial intelligence to listen to every single episode that you have worked on uh-huh. over the past four or five years train it on that such that you can tell the AI, today we're going to be speaking about artificial intelligence. And the mixed reality device will not only create your 3D hologram, uh-huh. but it will synthesize your voice and create a 30 minutes discussion with you sipping pina colada <laughs> somewhere on the beach. Are you serious? I tell you. <laughs> that's where we're going to. Damn. That, that's been crazy. How, but how how much is this? How much would that cost in technology? Like, will it be embedded like in the cameras, or what? What would it be to actually um, to actually put that on like YouTube or something? How how would that? Where would it? How would you film that? Yeah. So today, just like every other form of technology, when it comes out, mm-hmm. it, it's it's expensive, right? So this all these HoloLens, these augmented reality devices probably cost like 3500 a piece right now uh-huh. you know but as time goes on they'll become smaller and they'll become cheaper and affordable for everybody to be able to do as of today if we wanted to create what i just said now uh-huh. it would be a project mm. that would hire engineers specifically to build our own proprietary technology spend like fifty thousand dollars just to create that yeah, yeah so maybe we'll just be doing that to show people what the future is going to look like that it can be done but we yeah. have to get to a point where we can do it seamlessly mm. and achieve that with just a hundred dollars you know with a bunch of software out there that can make that happen T- today we have technology that can take 100 200 of your videos and actually create a simulation of you talking and saying things that you didn't say they're called deep fakes Mm, uh-huh. I have I have seen that somewhere, yeah. yeah. And you know what's scary too <laughs> is these apps where you can put people's faces on other people's bodies. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. that that is crazy <laughs> as hell. Where and and people are you taking it? It's all in fun and it's it's a social media thing. But at some point, you're gonna be able to. 
put your face in real time on you're going to be able to do that in real time and nobody's going to know that you're not even there it's it's crazy and that's why what we're doing right now around um some form of digital forensics is to be able to make sure that as we create ai that can do that we also have ai that can reverse engineer that Mm. because that's the only way you can keep the world together otherwise there's going to be a lot of propaganda and people are going to create things that will you know sway thousands and millions of people particularly in politics without actually being the, without actually you know uh, you know pushing fake news and all those kind of things like that so we're in a world where we need to drive the boundaries of ethics in our society and really be able to guard what the things that are really important to us so that we can preserve our humanity as technology grows. Yeah, yeah. Because, like you said, love, caring, all those things, you can't, you can't duplicate that, you know what I mean, in AI. So, yeah, we, that is, yeah, that's going to be difficult to even implement inside of any any kind of robot or any kind of AI or something like that. Man. And then also I seen um on your Instagram where you're having a meeting this morning with I guess students or people in uh in Nigeria about actually relocating to the US, Canada and Europe. What was that about? Yeah, so this morning I was um hosting about twenty five hundred young professionals um in Nigeria. Um my company is a global outsourcing company okay. that is creating pathways for talents around the world to experience a frictionless encounter with um, new emerging careers. So uh, countries like the United States have a deficit. You, they, have, they are lacking enough um, engineers. That's mm. the truth, right? Yeah. Every single year in, in 2018 alone, um, only 40% of all the job vacancies in technology that were advertised were filled in the United States. Only 40% in 2018. Mm. So it means that there is an opportunity and countries like Nigeria and other countries around the world where technology is universal, Python is the same, artificial intelligence is the same, they can become exporters of that skill. So I was talking to those 2,500 people this morning that if you get the right skills, you can become so valuable that you can either be hired by American companies, European companies, and you can bring your GDP per capita back home to where you are, and it becomes a win-win situation. Right. Because America is filling those roles, you know, and other countries, the, the United Kingdom, they're filling those roles, and you also are bringing in something uh, back home to basically headquarter, to, to build. So Africa should no longer just be considered as a place for raw materials, for minerals, you know, because nobody prospers by just selling raw materials see. like crude oil. We need to export our intellectual capacity and demonstrate to the world that talent is indeed universal. Right. Yeah. So as a, um, at what age do you think people or kids should start getting into and, and what, what courses do they need to get in to start moving to that? Because I feel like I feel like uh, if this is a technology that is emerging, they need to start now so they can be, I guess, in that in that class of other engineers, right? Yes. So what what classes or what courses 
should people be kids be taking and at what age should they start around yeah so one of the things i am advocating for example in the dfw um is a program called code in the dfw mm. and what we're trying to do around the dallas fort Worth area is to identify communities that are underserved so that we can provide them with support i currently teach computer science in a school far away in alabama with uh, uh, a computer virtually without mm. actually being there and i teach programming every monday wednesdays and fridays mm. so in the same way we need to get several volunteers who can work with kids from like the age of six and seven mm. to start learning about computer programming because that's the foundation for artificial intelligence yeah so there has to be an increased investment across the municipalities, across the uh, uh, independent school districts, across the DFW, businesses, small and large businesses have to invest in these new technologies and make sure that these kids all around the schools are getting familiar, not just with arts, not just with sports, all those are beautiful, not just with music, but also with computing and with programming, because that's the future, and China is not stopping. Right, China is not stopping. These guys are working really hard, and and they're they're eating the United States cake <laughs> simply because yeah. we we're neglecting all those things around STEM. So we need to get back to the basics. Yeah, man. And one thing that I um, and I just I honestly, truthfully, just probably just even heard of STEM programs, um, probably like two years ago, where you can actually go and learn how to how to program without even taking an official course but you can there's people who will teach you to how to program how to do things like and i was like yeah i, I never knew anything about that you know what i mean yeah and it's it's um i want to uh I'm going I'm to see what I can. I, we'll, we'll talk after this yeah yeah we'll yeah. talk after we, this we need to spread the awareness with yeah. more people particularly people in business, to be able to see, hey, this is how technology can impact your business bottom line. You can transform things. A lot of organizations still need digital transformation. You know, they still do a lot of things manually. They need to automate things more Mm -hmm. so they can spend more productive time doing innovative thinking and spend time with their family and just allow technology to do most of those things. Yeah. I think most people are afraid of the new technology too, especially business owners. If they use if they're used to running it one way, and actually come in and change, most of them are afraid of implementing a, a, a computer. You know what I mean to actually do the work for that, or to do the work for that taking the replacement of a uh, actual person. You know what I mean. But I think I think it will, like you said, it will take away jobs, but it also enhance more jobs as well. You know what I mean? That's right. We just need to find out which jobs are going to be emerging so we can retrain ourselves. This is a generation that has to adapt itself to these new technologies. We need to retrain. We need to reskill ourselves. Some of us are going to have multiple careers within a lifetime. We need to be ready. We need to be swift. You know, we need to have that dexterity to be able to change ourselves, you know, for what is coming rather than being afraid of the change because Change will definitely come. You know, change will come. It is who we are mm-hmm. that's going to determine whether or not we're going to be ready for it. Yeah, yeah. Man. And also, I know you're, you're Nigerian, right? Yes. Yeah. And also, I know 
I've been seeing a lot of stuff going on in Nigeria. The the SARS. Uh, what what what? Can you explain to me what exactly what it is? I know it's some kind of corruption, and it's almost um, identical to what's going on in the United States. But I feel like it's even worse in Nigeria that's going on. What exactly is the SARS? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it was established as the Special Anti-Robbery Squad. Okay. Which basically is supposed to deal with crimes like robbery and very tough crimes like that. They were set up to do that. But over the past decade, they have been involved in a lot of the humanizing acts, you know, acts of police brutality against young people specifically. Yeah. Because they are not just okay with the way young people are finding alternative ways of income. For example, they can't understand why you should wear dreadlocks, have a computer and an iPhone, and drive your own car as a 22-year-old. They do not understand why that should be happening. And because they don't understand, then they will pick you up, beat you up, take you to their ATM, check your phone, find out what your balance is uh-huh. because of your bank messages, and then they will take you there to withdraw money and they will still beat you up seriously. If you don't have money, they will take you to the police station and make your parents come bail you. You know, all kind of things like that. Because they can't fathom how exactly these young people, creatives especially, are living their lives. So I've had my own scenarios where they actually took me to the ATM to withdraw money for them. And this really? money isn't going to the government coffers or anything. It's going into their own pockets. You know, I've had my employees harassed several times, taken away to places. They shoot people, kill people if you don't give them money. And because they are a, a rogue part of the, the Nigerian police force, young people got to the last of it and were like, no, this is not going to continue. Because for the past three, four years, each time they spoke up against the government or against the police about this, they would simply change the name of that unit without actually reforming the police. Mm. So this time again, when the young people came out, within a day or two, they changed the name again to SWAT, you mm. know, but changing the name won't change anything. Right. You know, and, and the issues are interwoven. There, there are other issues about the fact that these policemen are actually not well-treated as well. Maybe they have psychological conditions that are not being taken care of. They're not being well-paid. But it's the responsibility of the commander-in-chief of the government to be able to actually do um, the right thing and reform the police and make sure that the young people who are the future of that country are not being killed. So that, that's what all of that movement is about. And um, it got even worse over the past few days. Yeah. You know, and it, it's, it's just been, uh, it's still ongoing, actually. Yeah. And 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 there's there's not anything like, because um, I know the, the laws of the United States and, you know, the way this country is ran it's totally different from from Nigeria. Is there is there anything like where where an attorney or a law or anybody that they can um, hold people accountable for doing things like that? Yeah. So everything still boils down to whether the judicial system is working and there is a willpower to prosecute mm-hmm. and enforce the law. So um, in Nigeria, that has really not been happening. Many of these policemen even say it right in the face of video cameras that they will shoot you and there's nothing anybody will do about it. Damn. So they've been, there's been this continuous culture of impunity 
that actually has to stop. Yeah. So today we have heard things like governors saying that they've set up judicial councils to investigate the issues and bring to book all of those people who have been doing all that. But so many lives have been lost and um, there is still no willpower mm-hmm. per se from the presidency to transform this, at least not until this morning. Yeah. And the United States will be a fucking hypocrite if they go over there and try to to do anything. You know what I mean? I, I think for once, this is the one time that the United States hasn't been able to talk because <laughs> yeah, 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 in recent yeah. times, we've all seen what's going on here as well. Yeah. So, so they have not been able to. I mean, the international community, a few people, um, leaders around the world, have actually condemned the act and sort of like called the president to, uh, to order. But in his last speech two days ago, which is one of the reasons why I organized the workshop that I did this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He literally called off their bluff and said the international community should look away. What? Oh, yeah. God damn. Oh, yeah. And they actually said that. I mean, he implied that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His words were like, so we want to say to our neighbors and we want to tell them, I paraphrase now, want to tell them to um, basically look very deep into the facts of the matter before they pass any form of judgment. I mean, that's a way to tell them to just F off. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Shit, man. That, that is... It's fucking sad, man. It's fucking sad that you, as a human being, you kind of entrust the government to, I guess, look over the, the, the people of the... You know what I mean? And it's like the same thing is going on in the United States. And it's like, it's fucking... And I, from what I heard that it, it was already... Corruption is like big oh, yeah. in, in Nigeria where... <laughs> I've already heard that part you know, of it. You know what the young people said? They're like, you don't give us water. We build our own boreholes and wells. Mm-hmm. You don't give us food. We work hard, we get our food. You don't give us roads. We build our roads. You don't give us housing. We build our housing. All we're asking is let us leave. Right. Don't kill us. Right. Like already, you're, our parliament is one of the most paid in the world. One of the highest paid in the world. Our parliament. Our politicians. Mm-hmm. Some of the highest paid in the world. Unnecessary allowances. Yeah. Money that should be used in healthcare and education and infrastructure is being diverted just to take care of a select few. And all of that has to change. God damn. Yeah, it definitely does. It 100% does. Now, tell me about the uh, the books that you have here. Awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, I brought this for you, actually. Uh, this, this first one right here is A to Z of AI Consulting. Okay. Yeah, it's a book I put together um, to basically demonstrate to business leaders 26 artificial intelligence ideas for business. So today, if you wanted to say, oh, where do I even start from to, mm-hmm. to make my business competitive, you know, one of the things to do is to get this book and basically look at it. It's off there, up there on Amazon. And the second one is a book I wrote. Let me um, see that? Yeah, there you go. Okay, the AFZ of AI Consulting. Let me get that <laughs> to the camera right there. And can people can order this? Oh, yeah, people can find it on Amazon. It's right there. And um, we've been getting a lot of feedback, very beautiful feedback about it. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely going to read this. And I'm going to have my son read this, too. Yeah. Okay. All right. And what's the other one? And the other one is called, Are You Branded or Stranded? It's a play Mm. of words right there. 
Uh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Are You Brand of Stranded is a book I wrote um, uh, about 10 years ago, the first edition. And I basically wrote it when I was in, um, uh, I was in college and there was one of these uh, strike actions you know, by Nigerian universities. They were basically talking to government about doing better for them in terms of benefits and uh, compensation. And I had time on my hands to basically write about you know, two zones that exist in life. You're either responding to life or you're reacting. Mm. If you cooperate with life, you know, you will be able to make better things out of life than if you're, than if you're always reacting Acting. to life. Yeah. So it, it's a very interesting book that has gotten a lot of accolades. I've won awards because of it. And um, in 2020, I actually um, edited and wrote some new chapters in it to basically show our, um, a new face. Mm. It still carries the simplicity that it used to carry, but it's a book that everybody should actually take a look at. Okay, all right. Are you branded or stranded? That's okay, right. Let me see that. <laughs> that's, that's a cool title. Are you branded or stranded? Let me get people to bam. Okay, and so tell me, I'm 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 fascinated now on your background. Like, are you only child, or you have brothers and sisters, or we actually have brothers. Four. We're we're four, uh, four boys, and I'm the first of the four children. My dad um, used to be a teacher, but now he's um, into. He's still an educationist. He, he runs a school, uh-huh. you know. But also, he's involved in like um, community leadership and some politics. Okay. Oh yeah. So yeah. So I've been seeing like uh, all of that leadership and volunteering from a really young age. My mom is an health information officer at an hospital. Okay. You know, so she. She was. I was a child when she was an health record officer. Now she's uh, uh, gone through the ranks to become a director of health records at one of the teaching hospitals. So she teaches health information and um, archival studies, mm-hmm. which is actually a foundation for data science and what I am doing today. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I'm always interested in, like, what what moves people to actually do what they're doing you know what i mean like what actually pushes you to to even be so passionate about either ai or you know what i mean what like what what makes you um even good so let, let's let's start here what was your um the the the, the how do i want to say this what was your 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 experience like coming to the United States, right? Because you said you came here when, like five, six years ago, right? Yes, I first came here like five years ago. Okay, so what was that What was that experience like trying to come in? Because I always hear that it's, it's difficult to, to get into the United States. Well, you can say that. Um, so when I was seven, I read the book by Ben Carson. That gives you an idea how, how young I am. Um, I read a book by Ben Carson called Gifted Ants. My mom, bought, my mom basically was selling inspirational books at the time. Mm-hmm. So she gave me the book to read. And um, that's like the first time I got, you know, an inkling of the United States and the dreams and how he became a neurosurgeon and all these kind of things, right? Yeah. And then I went into STEM and science eventually. And then I, you know, landed this job at Microsoft, just as I told you. So 
coming into the United States for me wasn't like every mm-hmm. other immigrant. It was, mm. yeah, it was different because I'm in a specialty occupation, mm-hmm. you know, that is needed, you know, around the United States, which is technology, software engineering, and all of that. So uh, it wasn't it wasn't so difficult, you know. I came in first with a tourist visa, you know, and, and went back and forth before now, you know, having to run my business as a U.S. company. So, you know, it... it it's really a question of perspective. So people travel from all over the world. They love to come to the United States, the land of dreams, the home of the brave, uh-huh. you know. Um, uh, but it's really a question of perspective. If someone is a literary icon in their country, the United States is going to invite them over for a fellowship and want to keep them rather than having China keep them. Right. You know, if someone is, a, is an engineer or a poet, they're going to bring them over because... They have the talents, and and I would say that that's the privilege that I think Providence has granted me as well. Mm, okay, and what's the um, the the school that you went to in Nigeria that you got your bachelor's from? What was the name of it? It's called the Federal University of Technology in Akure. Okay. Yeah, and it's one of the leading universities of technology in the country. Mm. Uh, um, they're very passionate. I'm actually going back to that university to establish, you know, a center. Uh, for artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully uh, in a few months, you know, and it's uh, it's probably one of the first shows I'm going to talk about that actually, you know, because we've been like in talks with the university to partner with them uh, to do some amazing things. So talking talking about going back and forth and giving back, that's really what I am. What I enjoy the most um, is the best of both worlds to be able to invest back in Africa because Africa deserves it and Africa gave me this opportunity, you know, but also to be able to get the best of the United States in terms of its technological advancement and how fun its people are and how, you know, free uh, the country is. Yeah. Man, I'm so, I'm going to tell you, and I know we want to talk about the AI, but I'm so intrigued about Africa and the, the, the continent, right? But the different parts of the country, like what um, in Nigeria, right? Like, are there? Because I always hear that there's different tribes in Nigeria. Um, what what's like what's like the biggest tribe? Is it? I think it's say Olu. No, no, that's your name. Uh, what was what's the tribe in um, in uh, Nigeria? I think I can't remember. Okay. Well, are, are you from a specific tribe? Oh yeah. So, so I mean, in Nigeria, there are over two hundred ethnic groups. Okay. And dialects and languages, but there are major tribes: are Igbo, Hausa, Igbo. and Yoruba. Yeah, Igbo and Yoruba. Okay. Are you from one? Any? Yes, else? I'm from. I'm, I'm Yoruba. Yoruba. Okay. I need to. I need to figure out because I feel like I don't know. I know. I don't know. I, I just I need to do like an African ancestry or something. Absolutely, absolutely. To figure I was, out. I mean, there's a show on Netflix right now that talks about the story of an Af- the journey of an African colony, and it was explaining the fact that it would have been beautiful if every black person like in the in the West is able to tell you know what part of the world that they're part of and yeah. all of that, and and that would be really super interesting from an ancestry standpoint. Who knows whether you are Yoruba or you are Hebo or you are Hausa. Yeah. You know, so that would be interesting. Fi- I want to I figure that out. Yeah. And what do you think about, um, this is something that just popped up. What do you feel like um, that that Akon is doing in Senegal where he's going to build his own city? What do you think about that? Well, um, um, I wouldn't say that I understand all of the sentiments behind trying to create that, mm-hmm. but I think anything that 
involves an African or someone of African descent going back to Africa to build something and create something that provides prosperity for all is actually a great idea. And I, I think it's totally welcome. I think the world has taken a lot from Africa already, and it's actually time to be able to give back to it. Genuinely. Yeah. And I feel like everybody everybody that I've heard talk about Africa, it was like Africa right now is a good place to in, in, invest in. And I heard like China is is super heavily invested in Africa right now because they're just giving loans. And it's, it's almost like a back way of them trying to own Africa, I guess. They're giving loans to like different businesses and people that are in Africa. And from what I hear, it's like they don't even want the money back. They're just like, you know what? We'll just we'll just acquire that land or that business from you and you can own it. You can you don't have to pay us back. But it's their way of actually trying to immigrate or migrate to Africa a little bit from China. And then they're actually their exports. I know United States was a big uh, export to China, but now it's starting to flip a little bit where now they're sending all their their goods to Africa. And there's like somebody told me like, man. You can go to Africa and do the exact same thing that you're doing in the United States and become a millionaire like in two and three years. Absolutely, because, yeah, there's a lot of like similarities. But, I mean, look, what China is doing isn't different from what, you know, the United Kingdom or the United States has done the past hundred years as well, you know. It's just that Africa needs to care about itself. Africa is, everybody else thinks Africa is big deal except Africans themselves. You know, so that's what is going on. Because if you understand your true value, then you're not going to sell cheap to anybody. Right. You know, so that's what I'm seeing. And that's part of my own personal commitment to be able to see how we can get more Africans to be able to realize their potential and more African countries to be able to see that. Look, what we're asking for is fair trade. I mean, it's not like don't do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. Do business. Right. You know, if you want to acquire land, acquire land. But let it be fair trade. Right. right? Let there be, you know stories or anecdotes and um, um, story of Africans coming to the United States to also dominate. Right. You know, let it be fair. Let be, let there be fair markets. Don't don't play big brother right. you know, for anybody because uh, the world is changing, you know. So, but these are very deep conversations because when you look back into this, because I used to be in philanthropy as well. So if you, if you think about the issue of aid and all of those things, I mean, there's not enough time today to really talk really go deep into that because when you mm. think about the issue of aid and think about like you know what Africa is getting in return as well and all of that those are some of the things that are you know shutting the eyes of many of the leaders to be able to see that this is us selling our future you know and um, there has to obviously be something else that I done so I care about like fair trades you know you know what the World Trade Organization is doing you know to make sure trade is actually fair and open that um, uh, the Nigerian um, contender for the seat of the Director General of the World Trade Organization, who is also interestingly American, will be able to uh, emerge mm. as the as the DG of the World Trade Organization because Africa needs a seat, a very strong seat in that particular corridor. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I want to get your perspective. What do you think about? What is your perspective on slavery? Because I always. And I'm interested to know because 
somebody who is born here in the United States, right? Um, my perspective of slavery is a certain way, but I want to get somebody who is, who, um, how, how, how do you, you mind me asking? Yeah, I'm 30. 30, okay. So, and I guess um, apartheid was a part of the African, uh, or excuse me, that the, the, the part of African culture in, in that continent, but what is your perspective on slavery? You not being from you, you not being from United States, but you going through apartheid, or or you you kind of young to really experience that, right? Yeah, you're you, correct. You kind of like me, like you hear it, right? But you don't really. I I know. I'm me. I'm speak for me. I really don't understand it, but it is kind of like yo. That's part of my ancestry's history. So, what is your take on on slavery? What is your perspective on slavery in the United States? I mean, except for if we want to move away from like the modern definition of slavery uh-huh. in, in modern times, because slavery has several ramifications in modern times. But if we're talking about like the old ugly slave trade and everything, um, I would say just as you said, I met it as history as well. But in every single part of it. I saw it as ugly, as something condemnable, as something inhuman. It should never have happened, you know. But um, um, uh, today, what is even more, what is even more disgusting is that all of that old experience is still implicitly, you know, common in the society today. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that actual slave trade is gone. You know, people are still not equal. It right. is in our creed that all men are to be born equal or treated equal, but that is not happening, you know. And um, despite the fact that, you know, it's been, you know, a hundred years since maybe the abolishment of the of slave trade of several hundred years, we are still seeing, you know, patches of, you know, ill treatment across the United States um I remember the other day I was driving, you know, and some guy was one of the first few months of me relocating here. And some young guy, you know, because he thought maybe I didn't drive in a certain way. It was in the street and we were moving into a new house or moving out of a house. Uh And then just because I apologized to him, because after everything happened, because I opened the door of the truck and he was like startled. And I, I, I stopped to apologize to him. And the next thing from him is, you better go back to wherever you're from. <laughs> I'm like, who does that in 2020? Yeah. You know, so this, this, you know, this is it's something that was ugly, something that should never happen. But what is even sad is that uh, there is still implicit bias, there's still racism, you know, in in the way, and it's not condemned at the highest levels. You know, you know, um, the president doesn't talk about it, doesn't condemn white supremacists. Right. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel. I mean, maybe he feels something's wrong with it, but he doesn't publicly profess Same that it is wrong. It. Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, um, all of that is there. But what I'm even really keen about is the definition of modern slavery. It's actually how you know companies in the United States and in Europe and around the world are not sensitive to their supply chain to where their minerals come from, to where their raw materials come from, to where the iPhone actually comes from. Look at the crisis going on in Congo right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you're over coltan and cobalt and all of those minerals that are in huge quantity on the, on the, on the continent of Africa. 
companies around the world for the purpose of sustainability and fair trade and responsible sourcing must be careful about who is in their supply chain and how are those things being done because when you have children in their thousands and millions working in mines just so that people in the west can use an iphone, iPhone right. that is completely not balanced yeah you know and um um think about trafficking as well sexual trafficking every form of trafficking every form of slavery uh and injustice to one is actually injustice to all absolutely absolutely man and before we get out of here because we're gonna wrap this up in a little while it was something that you said before we got on camera that if because i it's, it's been like a, a, a like a talk right it's been conversation about black people from the united states moving to africa or, or a country in africa right and i i know the 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 kind of conversation about it is that africans that are born in africa don't really like american africa or american blacks right but everybody who i've talked to that that comes from some country in africa they always say the opposite they always like listen if you go to africa any country in africa the africans there are going to love you they're going to love you because one to them you have an accent right and then everybody that's that either that either born in africa and that came back they're they're americanized and westernized and they're just like, oh, okay, he just must have went to the United States and then came back. And they're going to assume the same thing about you. So they're going to brace you the same exact way as, as like you're one of them, right? And I, I kind of want to like push that narrative that, no, if you go back to Africa, the Africans there, the, the, the people who are there, they're going to embrace you like, like you're one of their own. And it's not where... And here's what one of one of the guys that I, I used to work with. He told me he says, Africans when they come to the United States, it's not that they don't like Black Americans. It's that Black Americans are so fucking, um, they're so rude to the Africans that come here, and then that's where they develop that hate once they get here for them. Because Black Black Americans, we we, I mean. We I don't know why, but it's like it's like something innate where we hate or we hate on something that's closer to us. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, and it's, it's, a, it's an irony. Yes, it's like it's like it's like somebody who is who's an alcoholic, right? Who do you hurt the most? The people that, who live with you. You know what I mean? And it's like when Africans come here instead of embracing them and really find out about their culture, where they're from, because I feel like for black people here in America, that is the motherland. That's where we originated from. And instead of uh, of downing them, you, you should embrace them to find out where where they come from, what it's like back at home. But instead, we do the opposite. And then that's where the the the, the people who move from Africa, those countries here that's where they develop the hate from. That's where they develop like, oh, black Americans ain't shit. They're lazy. They're this. You know what I mean? That's where they develop that because it's only, listen, if you punch me, I'm going to punch you. You know what I mean? And then that's where they that's where they get that that kind of back and forth from. But I, I want to change the narrative. Or I want to at least bring awareness to it that, yo, if you go to Africa, you're going to be embraced. Absolutely. You're going to be embraced they're heavily gonna, there. They're going to give you a name. I mean, I'll probably just give you a maker 
once you move to Nigeria and nobody would have an idea that you are American. Really? They're just going to assume that you're a Nigerian who spent some time in the United States and that's why you have the accent because you look exactly just like us. Right. You know, and then once you start wearing the traditional attires, they won't even know you just moved back or anything. So the point is that we're very welcoming people. Mm. Africans are very welcoming people and um, uh, they're very loving people. And um, all of the bias that you just talked about originates from just minor misunderstanding here and there that has grown over a period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, but generally, um, I mean, they think positive. We think positive of, of, of every native black American. Absolutely, man. Yo, man, thank you, Olu, man. Thank you for the books. I'm definitely reading these. Um, I appreciate you for tapping in with me, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah, this is this was this was dope. This is like real informative, and I can't I can't wait to see like what the technology is in the next five to ten years. I definitely look forward as well. I mean, most times you never can predict technology correctly. You can only hope that uh, some of the things you're aspiring for are going to be because most times. It would be better than every single iota of prediction that we give to you. Yeah, man. Thank you. What's your um like if your your Instagram that people want to actually start um getting in get a hold of you or if they want to do something, what how do they get a hold of you? All right, so my Instagram is uh my first name and last name, which is O L U S O L A then A M U S A N. That's O L U S O L A A M U S A N on Instagram. Okay, and uh, the website for for your company or the website for my company is www.covenworks.com. Okay, you're right, and then you can find these books on Amazon. Okay, yo man, thank you, Olu. I appreciate you, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. You, you guys are awesome. I love it. Uh, I'm tapping. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> right. Yo man, this has been the Tap In Podcast, man. Holla. <laughs>